I'm right here, Uncle. The object of your ire. The reason that you were disinherited. If you wish to be restored as heir, you'll need to kill me. So do it. Can we get a cup of coffee in here, please? You're listening to the Hoffy Coffee Cast. With Rhys Bolton and Rhys Jones. Come on, get some coffee, you want some coffee? Okay, this guy needs coffee and cool his stack. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hoffy Coffee Cast, where we talk everything film, TV, video games, and conspiracy theories. I'm your host, Reese Bolton. And I'm your host, Reese Jones. And today we are talking about the set the other fancy show that came out right now. Uh just completed last um Monday, and that was um Hot D, House of the Dragon. We are very excited to talk about this, aren't we, Welsh? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. This this, this is it's probably one of the like the strongest like shows as a whole, like in recent like TV history. Yeah, yeah, very very strong. And uh, definitely obviously we'll we'll sing its praises and yeah. later on. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I think it's I think in my opinion is one of the best shows of this year. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely. So and we also got some news as well. So uh, we'll go straight into it. So uh, you can follow us on Instagram Instagram.com slash hovercovercast. Twitter at hovercovercast and Facebook at hovercovercast. Um, and you've got to email us hovercovercast at gmail.com. Please like, follow, share, and a review if you enjoyed the episode. Um, at, uh, so uh, as, as always, we've got some news to talk about. There's a lot of major uh, news drops that happened the last, last week. We've had a few trailers, we had some reveals, we had some major casting changes, which, uh, I think that's a yeah. That's where he starts up in there. So, what is uh, what is one of the biggest news of this week of this week Welsh? Um, um, I'm just gonna go jump in straight. Say that um, yeah, as you mentioned, like there's a major casting change in uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, basically, what, what, what do you think about this? So, with the post-credit scene in Black Adam, Henry Cavill came out on Instagram and announced that he will be returning for a Superman for Man of Steel two or for another film that will feature Superman. And then a couple of, uh, well, what well, pretty much on Saturday night, uh, it was an Henry Cavill also announced on Instagram that he will be departing the Witcher show after season three. And Liam Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth's brother, will be taking over the reins as Gail Terivia and season four onwards. This was a very... No one no, no could have guessed this would have happened. Like, I'm um, part of a lot of the, the Witcher yeah. fan pages, and they were like, what? Like, yeah. this is I, so random. Well, you, you messaged me, right? Like, it was like not like a well-known um, article, like a, a news source. You messaged me, and I... I thought, like, initially you were joking, or, or it was like, you know, it was like really bad reporting on like that article's uh, behalf. I was like, oh, that's that's weird. Like, Liam Hemsworth, like, what a strange choice. Um, I know that, like, Henry Cavill. I, I'm saying as if as if I know him personally. I don't, you know, for the record. But he is very apprehensive about leaving. I I, I I'm certain. You know, you, you everybody knows he is possibly like the biggest Witcher fan. 
So seeing him depart, you know that it's um, it's going to be quite melancholy for him. But um, I, I mean, at the risk of like stalking the fire, there is a lot of issues with the the production of The Witcher. Um, people add issues with season one and two, maybe more so for the latter season. Uh, and with with um, with the announcement, announcement, but with um, the, that one of the former writers saying that the current writers there. Um, don't really have that sort of like love of the source material that they should call that you know um, a disgruntled ex-employee bitching about you know their former employers you know call it what you will but I think it is showing um, the total sort of disregard in season two for the source material was did put me off and I think uh, many other fans of um, the box and the games I think um, it's it's very disappointing. I I know that you you have a lot of thoughts on on this matter. So, uh, if the reasons were that he plays Superman and he can't play um, man uh, uh, girl to review as well, I personally I I think it's impossible because I think you well I think you could still play both characters, but as you said, I've had heard beyond the set kind of rumours that the writers are not great writers and they have not really treated the Witcher like the, the books and the stories with much respect and I think it shows because in even season 2 there were some changes which I was like hold on which is a bit like I don't really like where this is going and now your main lead is leave, leaving after three seasons, even though he said he would happily play The Witcher for seven seasons. And also there's rumours that Henry Cavill was a walking Witcher cyclopedia on set, and he was trying to give, like, kind of suggestions to the writers, like, this is what quotes you can use from the books, this is what Gail would do in from the books, this is what Jennifer would do. And it seems like the writers did not pay any um, yeah. advantage. This is like a similar yeah. thing we talked about last week with Rings of Power. Yeah. How the writers seem to just not grasp the law and the actual source material. And I don't really understand it because you're writers and frankly, you aren't. This is not a, a um, this is not a original idea. This is based on an actual book series. A very well-known book series that's got a lot of fans, um, and it's one of the most popular fantasy book series ever. So I don't, I don't know where this is just. In the end of the day, it's also it's rumors. Like Henry Cavill can't come out and say this is the reason why. Um, I think a lot of it are rumors that like he's mentioned it, so and so. But then again, you kind of got to kind of, uh, you know, um, what do you call it like. Um, you know, be careful about like what the sources you get from this because uh, people can like kind of manipulate what actors and celebrities are saying. But I also feel like Liam Hemsworth, okay, I think he's an okay actor, but right, if he if he's if he's playing Gil Rivier because he's he looks more similar to Henry Cavill or be, or to Gail Rivier. And he just and and he plays the um, and he actually plays the games and he actually reads the books. Okay, but I just don't feel like he is. And I've, I've also, I just don't feel like 
he's going to have a really bad time as Gelt because he's going to have so much hate from the fans. Uh, that, um, that is, I think that's going to be inevitable. And mm. I, I do actually feel like really bad that to Phil. And there, there is a, um, I'm going to like just say that there is a large sort of like toxic fandom in The Witcher at the moment. And they will like sort of pile on, you know, the sort of hate bandwagon for, um, for like the, the casting. And, you know, like, I, you know, we, we can criticize it, you know, we can say, you know, call it like what it is, that this is a bad decision, like recasting Geralt, but it's happening, you know, and I don't think really like attacking sort of actors that play them is, is good, you know, at all. It, it, it's, it, I mean, if you, if you like the show, why would you sort of like make it even worse by stalking the fire like that? You know, it, it, it's yeah. really like disappointing, actually. Yeah, yeah. And I really hope that they come to an, an agreement that Henry Cavill will come back as Geralt because he said he's mm. happy to play for it. But I'm not sure. But then also, I don't see why, what is the point of continuing The Witcher when you've got. Henry Cowell's gone. Also, I mean, the other three are Alan, uh, Anya, Anya Coltrana, Col- I think that's the name. Um, Coltrana. Coltrana, um, yeah. uh, she is, she's a great actress, and I feel like the show shouldn't end because of one person leaving, but also, this is the main character of, of the show. It's like, I don't know, you. You make a, a, I don't know, what, 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 it's like you know, if you make like um, a Daredevil show, and then Matt, Matt, and then Charlie Cox is like, oh yeah, I'm leaving. It's going to be that same kind of like people aren't going to be happy. But also, that's a really good comparison, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to find a comparison of a, of a of like a show that's based on one character, really. And The Witcher is like Henry Cowell is The Witcher. Henry Cowell is, is Geralt. So him leaving, obviously. That kind of he makes the Witcher and he draws people because people know Henry Cavill. Liam Hemsworth, no, I wouldn't say he draws as much of a fan base as say Henry Cavill does. But yeah, you're right. It feels very. I don't know. I I I personally have to feel like season four is just going to go downhill from there, and I feel like. If it came to him actually leaving, I feel like this must have been something that him and his agents, his manager, and the rest of the production, the producers, and all that were obviously discussing with him, and obviously didn't come to an agreement. So obviously he's left. Yeah. But again, if it's because of the writers and they're not treating source material, then I just I just feel like what is the point anymore? Like, I I it's really annoying in in it's really annoying um that people who actually go to spend like thousands to go to write, writing school actually uh are too so up their ass to actually you know but I'm not saying all writers are like this yeah uh as we look at Grant Condor he's you know he's got respect for the um the Fire Blood book oh but, my god it, but it is probably but, one of the best adaptations. Yeah, but also, but other writers, especially these ones of the Rings of Power and The Witcher, who just feel like, oh, no, we're not going to listen. We're not going to read the source material. The books are boring and all that. And I'm like, you're writers. <laughs> That's your job. You're, 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 you're adapting the work. So if you turn around and say, like, oh, we don't, you know, we're not going to read the books, it's a bit, you're shooting yourself in the foot there. And it just doesn't yeah. make any sense. And frankly, it just kind of puts people off the show. 
I wouldn't be surprised if if um, if this show if this Netflix cancels a show after season three. I would not be surprised. Um, yeah, that, that's what I think. That's all I could say about this, really, because mm-hmm. it's 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 really a bit of a mess, and I feel like Henry Cavill can play Superman and The Witcher. I yeah. mean, you know, it, it's it's possible actors can play other roles while also playing like you know superheroes and stuff. So, yeah, that's all I've got to say really on this. Um, any, any other thoughts to say on? No, not really. It's a, it's a bad situation, really. Yeah, it is. Um, going to some actually more positive news. Um, we also got uh, well, we got a big reveal as well. So the uh, BBC uh, Centenary Special um, dropped last Sunday. I think it was Sunday, yeah, Sunday. Um, it was the final uh, episode of Julie Whitaker, and in a very kind of big reveal. Um, the fourteenth, the doctor, uh, the doctor regenerated into his fourteenth uh, uh, persona, yeah, regeneration, um, regeneration, and it was the tenth doctor's. David Tennant is back. Uh, He's for, back, baby, for the fiftieth oh anniversary special, which should be dropping next year, I assume. Yeah, yeah, they did say yeah, Doctor Who will return in twenty twenty three. Mm. Um, I'm. I cannot contain my excitement. How disappointed I am for The Witcher is nothing for how excited I am for what Doctor Who can be in the future. Um, Russell T. Davis, who is a fantastic screenwriter um, and showrunner originally for Doctor Who, and everything he's done since, you know, like years and years, um, he's done, um, oh, damn. It's a, it's a sin. It's a sin. Fantastic shows. And, and and having him come back, like so, you know, you know, like what, like they've ca- called like this now on the internet, where like how he's coming back for Doctor Who. Oh no! What, they they, they it? call it um, uh, RT, RTD two. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I I am very very happy and very excited for what Doctor Who can be. Um, I haven't seen um the the next incarnation, so like the actual um proper um do- actor to portray the doctor will be um shooty gatwa who i haven't seen on anything yet apparently he's very good in um sex education yeah you need to watch that show um, i'm kind of put off now because i want to go in blind i i, I want to because oh, okay. ne- when i was a kid i'd never heard of david tennant and i i'd never been exposed to like his portrayal of, of like um well his acting style ever so seeing like shooty now come in and and be the doctor i i'm so excited Honestly, yeah, and I'm a bit like weirded out as to how when um, the Doctor regenerated from um, 13 into 14, um, her costume changed as well into like the 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 very the, the classic um, uh, suit and trench coat. Uh, sorry, yeah, coat yeah, of, yeah. Of number ten, yeah. I, I I was like, but I'm willing to forgive that. It, it's it's a tiny little um, like nitpick for me. Where you see him and he's like, you know, I, I know these teeth. And he's like, what? Oh, I, I was, I was shook. I was properly like, well, you, you, you know, like, I, I've told people this. Like, he, he is my man crush. David Hen is perfect. So, I, I haven't. 
holy hell, like Neil Patrick Harris is, is, is going to be the, the bad guy in this. Yeah. And, yeah. and Catherine Tate is going to come back as Donna yeah, Noble. Yeah. I, 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 I cannot see any problem with this. No, and I... Mean, I... Do you know, like, listening to David Tennant in interviews about lo- loving the idea of coming back as the Doctor? He's so wholesome. Yeah, so that I'm trying to contain myself. Did Sorry. Did you watch the actual... Because I only watched it. I I only watched the ending part to see who you generate to. I didn't same, watch the rest of the same. episode. Yeah. I, I was told, though, like, by... Like, I watched these sort of, like, um, review channels. Um, I think it's, like, Full Fat Videos is really good in this, that... Um, it was quite disappointing as as a sort of like um, uh, the the final outing for Jodie Whittaker. It was quite disappointing. Like she didn't get like the you know, it, um, it's quite a, a letdown because she's a yeah. good actress, you know. So having her sort of like essentially just wasted on this this like this episode was bad. Yeah, uh, they, they queer baited her um, relationship with Yaz as well. Apparently. I, I I don't know about that. I yeah, don't... so you know, um, Yaz, the sort of um, yeah, the, uh, yeah. I think she was like she was a copper to begin with in the show, but yeah, then she joined it, yeah. the Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, it. queer baited it, like their relationship. Okay. Um, which people uh, are a bit honestly, I I personally am glad. Um, well, Joey Whitaker did a really good job in a very, but the writing wasn't great for that kind of part that in that time of Doctor Who that she was in and I feel like Henry Rossi Davis come back is also great but I feel also could he's actually hailing the 50th anniversary which is a huge thing yeah so I'm glad he's actually doing it and it'd be a great start up so the audience who've grown up with Rossi Davis as Doctor Who can come back to a kind of nostalgic what it was like you know having R.T. Davis back as um, as the showrunner, but also having introducing new Doctor Who fans to R.T. Davis who probably were too young or you know didn't grow up with um, the the tenth Doctor and ninth Doctor, um, you know the, that era. So I'm looking for. Oh yeah, I'm definitely so looking forward to this, and then it also sets up the next, uh, the next generation, the uh, regeneration as well, the fifteenth regeneration of the Doctor. But yeah, um, mm. it it see like so that you know there are silver linings. Yeah, and, exactly. And it look and sounds like David Tennant. What do you think of how of Disney they're going to be showing Doctor Who? internationally on disney plus well it's good right i mean yeah I, i'm glad it's yeah, sticking it's, it's giving the exposure especially to like you know rtd and like i i think it's it's a welsh production as well now i think they've moved production bad, bad, wolf, bad, bad wolf. yeah it's with bad, bad wolf. wolf so getting this welsh production company onto disney plus essentially it's it, yeah and also it's a bad, massive it's bad, a massive american fan base for um bad wolf has a lot Who. more um budget and then, like, the, obviously, could BBC is quite strict on their budget for yeah. drama. But Bad Warfare, like, you know, you could sh- you could see by the shows they made, they, you know, made Discovery Witches, they made uh, His Dark Materials. The budget is huge. And they're, like, very, um, they're, you know, experts in high-end drama. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I'm glad also they're still shown on BBC because still Doctor Who is a major temple for BBC, like, viewership as yeah. well. 
So I'm glad Disney Plus haven't turned around and been like, oh, we're going to, you know, just chuck it all on Disney Plus. I'm glad it's only going to be international. Uh, I, I, I kind of respect that and I like that. Um, but yeah, um, I think that's that's all what Doctor Who knows, actually. Um, last piece of news we're going to talk about is the Ant Man uh, Quantum Mania. The first trailer Aha, dropped. Yeah. Um, so it looks like that Scott Lang um, and the crew are, and his crew are <laughs> stuck in the quantum realm where they have to perform a task for. Um, drum roll, please. Oh, God. I hear the drum roll. I actually forgot his name. Kang. Kang the Conqueror. Kang. Played by Jonathan. Apparently, yes. Yeah, this, this is his Conqueror um, variant. Holy hell. Um, I want to like point out something straight away that uh, someone on Reddit, um, uh, I, I forget who it was, but um, unfortunately, but the, um, the, the layout of one of the scenes, there's like, like, like giant, like gargantuan, like rings. Yeah. They, they are the 10 rings used by um, Shang-Chi. Oh, so I, I, I heard this, this film is going to be tied in quite a lot of things. Yeah. So I'm kind of glad because Shang-Chi is very, um, uh, it was a bit of like a loose cannon. It was good, but um, it was, you know, it didn't really tie in very well. But now they are actually doing it. And, they, you know, in the post credits scene, they did hint that, oh, these 10 rings are really weird. You know, we've never seen something like this. So, yeah, I'm really happy. I cannot wait to see John Majors actually kill it as Kang because we got him in uh, He Who Remains. Um mm in Loki, but he was kind of like the more bubbly kind of more mischievous side this is going to be like kang the conqueror like i mean you know there's a reason why he's called the conqueror so we're going to see some the brutalism and you can see why kang this this film is definitely going to show why kang is the next thanos of the mcu Hmm. Why he's going to be the big bad of the MCU for this um, for this saga for um, the multiverse saga, and I cannot wait. Um, but obviously, they also showed this is a different trailer to the one they showed at was it Comic Con or D twenty three? But um, there was a trailer where um, I think it's the same, it's similar, but Ant Man meets meets with. Um, Kang, and he says, "Oh, Ant Man." He says, "Oh, which Avenger?" Or something about like, "Oh, have I killed which Avenger? You have I killed you yet?" Which is, yeah. you know, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see John Majors literally just tear up the screen, like oh, this conqueror. Like, yeah, I can't wait. And um, I, I think someone say that like every single third superhero film in the trilogy of superhero films there's always like a major like death or something <laughs> so yeah i feel like he's gonna die in the, the third ant-man film scott that's a... <laughs> maybe no nah, no i feel like it's gonna be like maybe like hank pym or something like I don't, i'm not sure I'm, i don't know i feel like the third one's gonna have like a major death and that's obviously gonna show how deadly kang is gonna be oh man i can't wait for this this looks so so good. Have, have you got any thoughts about this trailer? Any thoughts about this trailer? Well, I was like, I, I've never been like the, the biggest fan of Ant Man, and I like how before it was always a sort of palate cleanser film where 
and, and and Marvel knew this as well, where they have like really big events and then release an Ant Man film because they know that the stakes aren't really that high. You know, yeah. it's fun, but it's not. You know, it just brings it back down. It relaxes the audience. But now they are actually raising the stakes with Ant Man, which it's it's ambitious and and yeah, bringing in the Thanos level, the the Avengers level threat character is fantastic and the, and the look as well like i definitely didn't like predict this look of the film no it looks and giving it a stupid name like quantum mania as well didn't help <laughs> i think <laughs> it's like quantum mania they, like they, they have to say um uh like it, it's it's kang in time or something oh god no no they, uh, no they're trying to they have to stop that they're, that morbius me now it's getting it's gonna be it's gonna die out that Oh God, God! I wish more business didn't exist. <laughs> but um, God's sake, I can't wait. Time. I can't wait for um, yeah, I can't wait for. I think it's coming out in February next year. So what's in March? February or March next year? And that's gonna set up. That's gonna be the first installment in Phase Five of the MCU. Because um, we know that Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, is gonna be closing out Phase Four as well. So. Yeah, looking forward to this hugely. Um, let's go talk into like the main topic of this week's episode. So, to go talk into House of the Dragon. Are you ready? Yes. Let's do so, it. yeah, House of the Dragon, the prequel to uh, one of the greatest television shows of all time, Game of Fro- Game of Thrones, which is following the 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 reign of the Targaryens, uh, what was it, um, 200 years, 170 years before the birth of yeah. Daenerys and 200 years before the events in Game of Thrones. Um, this is following the, so the Targaryens to be on the throne for, uh, what's it, like 100 years or so. So, um, um, and it basically, this is basically, um, this first season is, is a setup for, one of the biggest events in history of Westeros, uh, the Dance of Dragons, the Targaryen Civil War, um, and this is sounds like this is going to this is the first season. This is basically uh, you don't really see the war yet in this season, but this is kind of the setup. This is kind of like the the, the calm before the storm. Um, yeah, I, I can't. I, I, I and I just thought the show was absolutely brilliant, absolutely awesome. Um, and I can't wait to talk about this. Um, what and I, and it definitely has breathed new life into the Game of Thrones franchise mm. following the kind of failure that was Game of Thrones season eight. It's uh, it's kind of weird how like a lot of people are quite apprehensive about watching it because of the legacy of Game of Thrones. Yeah, the, like the, the the tarnished and um, very disappointing final seasons. Not this. I said I, I said that as a plural. Um, but yeah, like if anybody is not really like, familiar, I mean, you know, why would you be listening to this if you didn't know what uh, House of the Dragon was? Um, it's uh, based on the book Fire and Blood by George R. R. Martin. You know, he did um, Song of Ice and Fire, so the Game of Thrones books. Um, he wrote it in the persona of a maester, like, you know, like one of the, the historians and like the healers sort of characters in, in Game of Thrones, um, as. A, essentially a satire of bias and sexist historians in real life. You know, they put in their own prejudices and, and biases on history. 
So everything that we're given in Fire and Blood is a, uh, a shadow on the wall. You know, it, it's not the real history. It's it's twisted and warped to give the perception that these characters are the evilest or you know like the the best sort of human beings ever. And the question posed then is, how the hell do you make a show which is based off a book which isn't the true telling of the actual history? The answer is, you make it up. It fucking worked. <laughs> it's, this the, show the, is amazing. The, this book is... The, 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 the book Fabulous is based on is definitely... It's from a biased kind of viewpoint. And as you said, I didn't realize that it was actually a satire of like the sexist and um, the sexist and biased historians of the past. Because that's quite interesting. Because uh, as you know, study study history in uni, it's interesting reading uh, reading history books written by um, historians who are like a political ideology. So it's interesting reading a book by um, kind of like a more capitalist historian on like say um the peasants uh the peasants war back in um that took place in 16th century in europe compared to how a socialist historian a book on 16th century it's very different and it's interesting how the kind of this the the socialist um communist socialist historian will kind of look at as kind of like a, a great war that you know that was basically like they were good, you know, tearing, you know, tearing down the kind of, you know, the uh, the corruption of the classes and stuff, and you know, um, classes and kind of uh, turning the kind of political foundation upside down. While and being like, this is the first step of like uh, a big rebellion against the the ruling elite and what how the French Revolution and other the Russian Revolution kind of like was inspired by this event, whilst the, the capitalist historian will look at that event and they'll write, will look, sorry, well, this is basically, this was chaos. This is was, this is what uh, absolute chaos. This is a bunch of like angry, you know, bloodlusting peasants who are fed up and they want, they demand more and they want to turn the, the destroy the political, political stability and the foundations in European society. It's really interesting. And, that's what I got from this, and it's it's always interesting. Like this is this is not like one. This is not the the dedicated traditional. This is one hundred percent the main the 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 truth, a uh, uh, kind of record history of Targaryens. Yeah, it's written by maesters, and if you know about maesters, they're kind of like monks in um, monks that they're very like their views are very traditional. Um, they're very a, a very anti kind of development, um, pretty much. Uh, the Catholic Church back in fifteenth century was highly against the Renaissance that came in from the Byzantine Empire, so they have this more traditional view of kind of um, the world and uh, political structures and the feudal system, society, etc. And the idea in this is their view on women. Um, their wrong women is highly misogynist um, and very sexist, and it's and it's interesting reading about this. And but also, what the show does, it, it doesn't take every single. It's not a bias. It's not like this is a maester writing a story, 
is is the book and it's all through his perspective it's not really through anyone's perspective he's got points of view of characters but really this is about the targaryen society westerosi society of his time and if you're like a major nerds like me and welsh there are a lot of events in that throughout our history that george r martin kind of took got inspired from took took notes from and uh i could talk about that actually later on in the um the podcast because it's it's really interesting um and this is really about this this, this especially this part the kind of the fine you know the dance with the dragons is about its massive target civil war that took place because the realm would not accept the drastic changes of having a female on the Targaryen throne. And that and that what creates this massive civil war is this kind of lot this is this very conservative kind of viewpoint in West uh, perception in, in Western society that basically created this massive war that spoilers really changes the realm forever. And it's never, it's never, you would say that after the Dance of Dragons, the Targaryens, the, the rural Targaryens were never the same as when in the early days, um, from the beginning of, um, from the founding of Aegon the Conqueror to the realm, realm of King Viserys Targaryen. Um, so yeah, this is very, this is very much, uh, this basically, as I say, so. You do you want to give a quick summary of basically, well, kind of a big kind of a background context of this um, this season? Background context. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, okay. So there's a, a sort of golden age has been ushered in for mm. Westeros um, and House Targaryen, uh, Targaryen, sorry, um, through the old king called King Jaehaerys the um, First, and he comes into a bit of trouble because he has no direct male heir because the heir that what i think the prince of dragonstone was balon and he's dead he died in an accident so now the question of succession arises because the elder you know the the more sort of senior candidate just happens to be a woman and so far there's only been kings in westeros so there's a great council uh it's called it's the great council of 101 calls all of the lo- the great lords of the land to harrenhal the seat of house strong where they need to decide what happens now are they going to choose uh princess rainis who is has a arguably better role because she's from a more senior side of the family but she's a woman or prince viserys who is the son of Balon, the former heir, and he's a male. And the lords, major- on the majority, most of them choose Viserys. And he is made king. He, sorry, he is made heir officially. And as the, the old king dies, Viserys becomes Viserys the first, uh, the first of his name. Uh, I hate when you say that. But um, Rhaenys and her supporters call her the queen that never was. But peace prevails there's no trouble and the king uh, of westeros continues the golden age and he marries his cousin who's also as targaryen blood 
obviously, but um, they have a daughter called Rhaenyra. So this question of succession still looms over the throne. And because he now has this daughter, he's trying for a son and through his desperation causes the death of his wife um, because they have a son, um, Prince Balon, who dies. Um, uh, I think they have caught death. But through his desperation now, he names his daughter, his only child, as heir. But people at court want the king to remarry. So there's all these different courtiers, including the Hand of the King, Otto Hightower, who want to put their own agendas forward and use and manipulate the king. Yeah, it's... um. Oh, and also making things worse is the king's younger brother, Damon the Rogue Prince, the fucking rock star of House Targaryen, who wants nothing but to cause trouble and be like a... Well, like... A hot-blooded, like path essentially, and yeah, as the show progresses, we see more. Th- it gets muddier. The succession is questioned as well because the king remarries. He, ma- he marries um is uh, Han's daughter Alicent, and he has do- uh, sons by her. So it just gets more and more complicated. <laughs> There's um. There's a book I'm reading right now called uh, When Christ and His Saints Slept. And it's by this uh, really one of my favourite um, um, historical fiction authors, uh, Sharon K. Penman. And it's about the anarchy. Um, and I'm saying this uh, because this, the kind of this this show and all kind of was based on the, the upcoming the dance the succession crisis the targaryen succession crisis very similar to what happened in um the 12th century in uh england medieval england and normandy um and this is what the book's kind of about so this is a true story about so basically um there was so there was a king henry the first first to his name i mean the first uh, he was king of england and normandy and uh he he reigned from 1100 to 1135 and he had a lot of bastard children that could couldn't uh basically inherit the throne because they're bastards and he had he had a he had a couple of children uh his son um who was going to be the heir to the throne and then one day they were sailing from Normandy to England when there was this massive uh, crisis like this. Um, and the boat that the the air was on basically uh, sunk and the air died. It's called the, the White uh, Ship Disaster. And that really changed the kind of the structure of the succession, we created a succession crisis in England where the only Heir uh, that would be legit had a legitimate case of the throne for Henry's part was his daughter uh, Matilda Maud, as a short, and he basically uh, clashed with his council, his barons, over having her to be his heir. Whilst the barons were like, "We never had a female ruler. We were." Uh, you know, and the idea basically again back in like medieval times that women were just 
uh, objects for kind of producing children. They didn't really had much rights. They were they were kind of married around like cattle and stuff for political power and uh, alliances and all that. So the few women, a, a few of a woman being able to rule was seen as like you know like blasphemous, like you know didn't didn't exist. People were like, no, 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 that's against like the kind of the the structure. Very conservative, but so they chose her cousin Stephen um, as their ruler, and then. When Henry died, um, the barons basically um, usurped the throne. Well, they put Stephen on the throne and it created this massive um, conflict called the Anarchy that spanned from 1135 to 1154 throughout England and Normandy and France. Massive continental war uh, conflict. And... um, well, uh, I won't with spoilers basically. Um, Maud Matilda was on the throne, she got dethroned, Stephen's on the throne, and then when he died, the throne passed to Matilda's son, Henry. The, Henry became Henry II. So, this is very similar to what is I'm saying, all this is a little bit history lesson for everybody, but this is what, um, I kind of see very much an allegory and very very close uh comparisons with this with this show with the succession crisis in, Tar- in the targaryens except you know they have dragons and it's in a different kind of uh, realm to compared to uh what's based in history books so that is basically but that's what i find so interesting because there's so many comparisons and with service he he, it's really interesting because when his wife dies, he's basically forced to choose an heir straight away because, like, your wife's dead, something could happen to you, and if you die without uh, choosing an heir, the realm would go into chaos. Yeah, yeah. And on his other side is Damon, who has kind of become the kind of uh, you know the, the 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 brother that's like you know a bit more of the kind of the, the more difficult brother, you know. That's kind of like does his own thing and stuff like that. And he wishes to be the next in line to the throne as well. But the thing is, he is too, well, I'll say, he's too much of a loose cannon, um, Damon is. He's too more, he doesn't really play by the rules. He's a bit, he's a very aggressive male. And, um, and he's not really fit to be a ruler. So Viserys, following his wife's death and the death of his son, um Bearman also as as you said he's had many children before in the past but it all died or so he chooses Venera as his successor but the the council and a lot of the lords very <sighs> against this and he Viserys forces all these lords of the realm to swear fealty and to Venera but also there's other characters in the court that are trying to use this kind of this uh, kind of this difficult, you know, difficult situation kind of for their own gains. And Otto Hightower, the Hand of the King, he tries to become, grow more power by making his daughter Alison Hightower uh, basically seduce the king in a way that the king will hopefully marry her and produce children. That way. The high towers will have a prominent position in power, and that the 
that they um and that Rhaenyra would not become queen. The hope that Alicent will bore Viserys a a, uh, a male heir. Um, and and that is and I feels like watching this is very much a Viserys is. I'll say this: he's a good king, but he's also a fool as well. In and in terms that, like, he is, he he's a good king, but he's a weak king. Yeah, and, he's, he's a good man, isn't he? But a bad king. Yeah, he's a bad king. He doesn't. He gets swayed around by the council, and he makes decisions which, to him, will say, "Oh, it, it helps me, though." Yes, but in the long term, it doesn't. And he has been given the choice of marrying uh, Rhaenyra's daughter. Um, what was her name? Uh, Rhaenyra's daughter, um, Lainor. No, not Lainor. Um, what's what's Rhaenyra's daughter? Uh, Rhaenys. Rhaenys. Her daughter. Uh, yeah, Lena. 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 Yeah. And he. And the thing is, when he gets uh, proposed to marry her, she's twelve at the time. So he's very much against it. So he chooses Alicent. The thing is also Alicent and Rhaenyra have been good friends, like kind of sisters since, you know, childhood. They grew up together in the grounds of King's Landing. So this becomes a massive, it's basically a massive, like kind of, um, a torn, like the cracks seem to start, you know, the cracks start to show. And this becomes like a bitter kind of rivalry between uh, two two women who strive to break the the barriers of kind of the misogynist um, male viewpoints in Western society and become stronger women. It's very interesting uh, show, and um, and it's really also on top of that you have got the legacy of Viserys. Now, the Prince that was promised legacy. Now, we had this in Game of Thrones. The idea that Aegon the Conqueror, when he landed, arrived in Westeros, he saw a coming evil that will eventually reawaken and um, basically uh, you know, descend upon um, the Westeros and the world. And that is... Um, that is, of course, the White Walkers. And before this, White Walkers have been vanquished a thousand years before Aegon came along. So he knows that the White Walkers are coming. So he needs, a st- when the White Walkers do arrive, there needs to be a strong leader in place to basically you know, defend the realm and ensure the survival of the Targaryens, the, you know, the lineage and you know the, the people. So... This is what Viserys is, is is doing. He's trying to trace trace this kind of he's been this has been passed down from like each king to another. So he passed it to Rhaenyra to be like, you are you'll be the future queen. You must make sure this realm, this family, and our lineage, and our legacy remains intact before the coming storm because winter is coming. Now. I think that's, uh, that that adds a bit more to it why he's doing these things, and why legacy is so important to him. And 
you could say that's why he makes a lot of choices, which you think, why would he do make his choices? But then again, also, it's, it's very weak of him because he's looking at something very much. He's not looking at the long term. He's looking more of like uh, short-term solution, solutions, not at the long term, but which will create long-term problems. Marion Harrison Hightower, okay, he's married. That gets a council off his back and the Lords. Long term is the High Towers aren't haven't haven't got Targaryen blood, and she produces a, a male heir that will will have more of a chance of taking the throne than Rhaenyra does. Just because you put a female as the heir doesn't mean the Lords will abide by it. Um, have you got anything to say further from what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, coming back to what I was saying about Fire and Blood being biased, they did a really good job in sort of fleshing out that Alicent isn't the sort of evil stepmother. No. Um, in the book, they haven't got this sort of like friendly relationship. They have more of a, yeah, like a stepmother and stepdaughter sort of relationship. Um, and... Uh, Alison has always felt that you know Rhaenyra is a threat to her children's um, succession, essentially. But um, I just feel that you know I, I was a bit apprehensive about them including the relationship you know, as, as like a sisterly relationship at first. But they did it really well. Um, and I forget, uh, especially I think the the older actresses when they portrayed them, uh, Emma Darcy and um, Olivia Cook. Yeah, Olivia Cook. Like they were really good, very good actually. But also, as also like the, the young actresses, so um, uh, Emily Emily Carey is young Alison, and Millie Alcock is young, young Rhaenyra, because half the show is these actresses, and then half the show is the older actresses. So it's a good kind of level, um, and it's really the fit. As you said. What they've done really well in this show is they have made a bit more personality and made a bit more character complexity to Alicent. In the books, it just feels like she's doing it because of basically she's like power hungry and she you know wants to take over the throne. But they made it a lot more grayer in terms of Alicent isn't evil. She is been a very she's been manipulated throughout her life. Yeah. by uh, the schemes of men in the court. Her father basically, you know, forces her to seduce Viserys. She becomes kind of like, she produces children for Viserys. And then she is kind of forced to play, by her father to play her hands in order to secure her, her children and her position as queen. So it's very... Like, it's very grey with Alison's character and Emily Cowie and Livia Cook do such a tremendous job as performances of um, Alison. And you feel very... I felt very sympathetic following Alison in this show, more than I did with Rhaenyra. Yeah. Now, that is... That could, that, that could be very uh, controversial because people can see in a different way. But... From my perspective, 
Alison has had not had the freedoms that Rhaenyra has had. Yeah, Rhaenyra can yeah. break the rules, go about do her business, and um, you know can conduct conduct behaviors which will be seen as very uh, shocking and very controversial by the uh, you know by the Targaryen society. But with Alison, she's very much she's been brought up to kind of you know play by the rules. Uh, stick to the rules. Be a good girl. Be like a be a lady. And she is basically forced to marriage to a man that she didn't want to marry. You know, she was told to go in and kind of be friends with him, seduce him. But when she he decides he wants to marry Alison, she's like, I did not want this, but she has to. She's forced into this, and you know, if the king wants to marry you back then, you can't say no. Really, no is not an option. It's, you know. Um, so and he's obviously she had to have his children and you could tell there is very much dislike towards her children mm, based on it's yeah. what it's not what she wanted and then she has his children and then she's basically you know basically forced down it's been forced down a throat by like otter her father and all these other like you know schemers and kind of conspirators and um anti rhaenyra kind of you know anti Rhaenyra supporters in the court that Rhaenyra is going to come to the throne and she's going to kill your children because your your children have aligned to the throne. So Alison is basically like, this is the only thing, this is the, this is the only thing I have and she might take away from me. That's why she's forced to do these drastic, that's why she's forced to betray Rhaenyra and put her son on the throne. It's because of this and you can really feel very sympathetic towards her while she's doing this. She's not doing this because she wants to. It's very much she's been forced by the schemes of um, of corrupted men in the courts. And that you know that that you know that that, that is basically why like you can understand why why Alison does what she does. And it's a very interesting comparison uh, episode four where Rhaenyra has having um kind of like a sexual intercourse with her well kind of like a sexual kind of experience with her uncle compared to and it and it cuts to um Viserys and Alison having sex. Alison you can see she doesn't enjoy it. It's very forceful whilst not not passionate while with Rhaenyra and Damon is very passionate. It's it's kind of a lot more kind of a loving element to it as well, and you can see the difference. And because I can also see the differences between how Rhaenyra treats her children to the way that Alison treats her children. Because like I said earlier, Alison treats her children basically of kind of the um, the after you know, kind of the results of a marriage that she did not want to be part of. Mm, yeah. So that's why she has this. That's why her children pretty much are all messed up compared to Rhaenyra's children, which is kind of you know the the, the bastards of the realm that like Rhaenyra's children become a lot more kind of grown up, kind of they've been treated a lot more respectfully and not more. No, it's a very much nature versus nurture thing with, with the children in this show, um, because. Rhaenyra has treated them with respect. She treats them as natural mother, whilst Alison just treats them like, you know, kind of mistakes in, in quite a whole way to say. Um, 
Have you got any thoughts on that? Um, I I just think that um, they they're showing obviously this like sexist, like patriarchal, like mm. you know, classically patriarchal society, and what they needed to do was show that you know like these women essentially they aren't you know like the you know they, they tried to write in in Hollywood they tried to write like this strong female character which um uh they they inhibit not inhibit like they exhibit a lot of traditionally male sort of like you know um features or um sort of like personality traits which are traditionally sort of like strong male traits and what they've done here is, you know, it's, it's, it's been done before, but they're showing that these characters are very, you know, strong female characters, but they're doing it in a way which doesn't involve them, you know, like, oh, they're going to go toe-to-toe with, like, a sword. Um, in Game of Thrones, they mention that um, a woman, you know, obviously this is um, views of the characters, but they say that the women's battlefield is in the childbed, you know, it, so it's in childbirth. Um, and they definitely show that this... Um, this show in this season season because the scenes of birth are um as um as terrifying as any sort of like battle scene any sort of like war um, that, that like game of thrones has done because it, it shows that you know like this is like life and death they are literally fighting for life and to, and but but not to create death but to create life itself it it is a very fascinating um, concept that they've been trying to do, and obviously having um, Rhaenyra lose one of her battles in losing her child at, in the final episode spoilers, it it shows that you know like these battles can't always be won. It's very interesting, like the kind of comparisons as like the the women's battlefield is a bedchamber because the battlefield is you are. If in the bedchamber, as through birth, you are creating birth, whilst in the battlefield, you are is death. So, but it's also interesting how to use a bedchamber as kind of like from birth becomes death. That kind of, um, that you know that kind of symbolism. But also, but also a lot, you know, Renira and Asen have a lot of children in throughout the show and it was very you know children breed alliances breed uh stability yeah and well, one thing um this is not like me like a lot of people have said this uh um they, this show uh this, sorry this series shows that um at this time like even in real life like this feudal so, you know like medieval society marriage is not um a like romantic commitment no, no it's not it is no. a purely a political contract it is merging of you know like families of a of a creation of alliances promises that you're going to marry my daughter so we're not going to kill each other okay that is literally it they want it's they, very they, they want power they want castles <laughs> and armies and dragons you it. get you get a marriage like uh Aima and Viserys, which has got a romance to it as well. Yeah, like they actually yeah. love each other. But you see from his other marriages, there's no love there. Like it's like even with Damon and Rhaenyra, they're married, they they get married because of stability and strength, but you don't really I don't see the love there, do you? I don't mm. see it. And even as I said with Viserys and Alison, there's no love there. Yeah, it's it's 
it's just there's no love there it's only just for alliances and strength so the kind of idea of finding someone to love goes out the window um hmm. in for the instead it's replaced by you got to marry this man or you got to marry this woman well in this case more like you got to marry this man so you can have stability in your kingdom for strength and all that you may not like them you may not want to marry them but you have to do it because hmm. and also this world this world is ruled by men who who are very conser- ruled by conservative men um and that, and, and um and is it i'll sort of talk about the birth scenes actually because you made a good point earlier about the birth scenes and i felt like the birth scenes there were times it got really really bad and me and you we've never obviously we we haven't had children yet so we mm. ne- uh, we're not women so we had never experienced you know birth and uh, i don't think i ever want to because it, it just sounds horrible but I can understand why, if you're a female uh, audience member watching this, how it can be very shocking to watch these scenes. And I'm a bit, I'm a bit kind of critical of the way it's very graphic. The the especially the birth scenes, especially the last scene, having the fetus shown and all that. I'm a bit kind of like. Is this going for shocks, or is this to show? Is this basically like comparing comparing comparison of how graphic it is if you made a battle scene or fight scene in the show and make it as as you know as the highest level graphic as it is in the bed in the birthing scene? Because the last scene with the fetus and all that was very disturbing to watch. But 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 it is, isn't it? It's like. Um, we see people's heads get cut off. Damon yeah. beheads a man, and we see his like literally his tongue, like and, and his like his guts. So how is that less disgusting, you know, than than seeing like you know like um uh, a birth? And I think I think a stillborn is because um because it's a baby. It's a baby. It's yeah, baby innocence, innocence, isn't it? Yeah, you know? yeah. But, but but this um you know. Like, Game of Thrones did it a little bit, but the books, um, George R. R. Martin is a master in showing how evil humanity can be, but also shows how good and kind people can be, you know, in, in such a horrible world. But if you want to create something with, and you're, you're telling people that it is a horrible and, and dark and brutal world, you don't just tell people, you fucking show them. And by yeah. doing that, you know, like we are horrified at what's happened. But it, all it does now is give character growth and development to Rhaenyra. I, I, I just felt like that final, ep- that final birth scene of the show. It was very too graphic. I felt like there were times they really, they could have really cut it. Like, but that's just me. I, I don't know. Maybe I just, I, it's a bit. Um, but again, it's like the innocence of the baby. You're shocked, but also showing mm. how far a show would go to actually show that. That's one of my few criticisms about this show. But was that birth scene? Because I was, I messaged you, and I was just like, "This is so disgusting to watch." I felt yeah. really sick. Um, but also, again, 
I'm a male, I'm not a woman, I've never gone through that, and you know, I've never expected to see how gruesome it is. So I really haven't got a say in that matter. But mm. I'm the same more the graphic wise, a bit kind of like pulling pushing the barrier of what you can really show on TV. And that was yeah, kind of, you know, but I, the reasons why you did it and you turned the graphic, I understand. But yeah. you can you can show how horrible this world is and some of these situations characters go through to a level. But mm. but baffles me. Anyways, um, it's let's re- talk about the dragons of House yeah. of the Dragon. Yeah, yeah. Um, people in the first couple of episodes were whinging. A couple of like reviewers that I like, they were whinging and complaining. Now, like. But but where are the dragons? Uh, and I was just kept on thinking, like even at that time, I was like, like, hang on, we need to establish these characters and, and plot, you know, and and just and the setting, you know, come on. Um, it's like it's you, like, it's, agree, like it's, it's like if you're watching Star Wars and everyone's saying, where are the lightsabers every single time? <laughs> like... Exactly, yeah, yeah. Or watching a Marvel film and where are the jokes? I honestly, I came to watch a Marvel film. Honestly, the less. They didn't, they didn't have drags in every single scene in the show, which is absolutely um, I preferred. But 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 that's that that's um that that's just you can't do that. No, the budget yeah. would be infinitesimal. Also, also, like also massive. Less, less is more. I don't. You know, it kind of like the dragons in the show are so big and massive compared to the three dragons in Game of Thrones. That yeah. you're like, oh my god, when you see them, you kind of. You know, you don't see them for an episode or two, and they come back and realize, oh my god, they're massive. They're like, you know, gigantic. They're terrifying, and it puts you. It makes you kind of love them even more. Like you're fascinated by. It. If you had them in every single scene, you'd be kind of being like, oh, the dragons here again, you know, and stuff like that. The dragons here, dragons here, and and all that. Like it, it dragons in the use in media should be shown in a way that produces kind of terror. Terror and paranoia. And this is a bit kind of uh, cheesy for me to say, but like playing Skyrim, you play in that opening mission, and you hear the dragon roar in the background, and everyone's terrified. Yeah, That is what a dragon should be. That's how a dragon should be depicted in a media, whereas it's a video game, a film, a TV show, as terrifying. And yeah. The dragons. Um, yeah. what's, in, what's interesting about watching this show, watching the first episode, where it's Rhaenyra on uh, on her dragon flying down at King's Landing, and all the people are just looking up, but they're not terrified compared to the last episodes of Game of Thrones, where the people of King's Landing are running away from the sight of a dragon. That's because that dragons were kind of extinct around at that time. Well, it shows how common dragons are and how much of, you know, how powerful the type games are where, like, you know, the, the typical peasants out in the street will see a dragon and be like, oh, you know, thingy's flying again. <laughs> you know, it's very common mm. common for them. But then when they're shown, when they're used for the, you know, to produce terror and paranoia, it's, it's absolutely shockingly mm. great. Well, because what, especially, like, in this, like, Game of Thrones especially... Um, in, in like the books, is that they they um obviously they can't say it, but they try to make out that dragons are weapons of mass destruction. They are the yeah. medieval equivalent of nuclear bombs. Yeah, 
if you have a dragon at your command, you are nigh indestructible. I mean, there are ways of killing a dragon. It, it's, it is explained. Uh, the Game of Thrones show doesn't really do a good job of it because, you know, generally when like one of the dragons gets like pelted by those like um, like scorpion bolts and just gets yeah. like killed instantly. Yeah, that is meant to be such a hard shot to hit. Yeah, um, and I think what they really did in this was show that there is a bond between the rider and the dragon. Um, you know, it, it's it's almost like you know, like the sort of like the wargs in Game of Thrones. Yeah, how you know the Starks have like the connection to their wolves. It's, it's a similar vein, I think, but it's it's um, it's um, sort of uh, the only people that are able to do it supposedly are people of Valyrian descent, so like Targs and um, and uh, Valarians and stuff. You know, those those sort of people. Um, but what uh, was like a big sort of like um, critique of Game of Thrones was that they literally just copy and pasted the dragons. Whereas you know the books say that they they are very different, they're very colourful and they're very unique looking, um, and uh, yeah, House of the Dragon did a really really good job. It's, you know, you can look at a dragon and go, oh yeah, that's Caraxes, oh, oh yeah, that's Vega. You know, you can tell different colourings and like head shapes. The um, I read somewhere that um, it was like an article, I think it was Esquire or something, that uh, they based the different um, dragons' heads off like real life skulls. So one of them was like a T Rex skull. One of them was like a dog. One of them oh, wow. was like a, like a um, you know, just like different skulls, which then from the ground up, you know, or from the bone up, they literally created like the 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 head shapes and like the um, the bones and the spines and stuff to make them unique and like idiosyncratic. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's, um, I mean, I'm just gonna say like my favorite dragon is Caraxes. Um, it's Damon's dragon. What what a a, a goofy looking dragon, but you, you gotta love it. I think mine's Vagar. I don't. I just yeah. love Vagar. Yeah, it's all <laughs> it's interesting, but it feels like the dragons, the most powerful dragons, have also got the most fucked up riders. It's um, it's quite interesting because obviously, Damon and Aemon command two of the most terrifying looking dragons in the show so far. But and also they're the most dead, the most aggressive, they're most uh the most bloodthirsty characters in the show. Mm. So there is kind of that kind of the, the the dragon fits the character fits the dragon. Yeah. In my opinion. But also what really what they done really well is showing that which wasn't really much again didn't show well or go into more depth in Game of Thrones, well they showed that dragons cannot be really controlled you yeah. you can't really play god you can't t- really tame these creatures and it shows that in the in the fight in storm's end um uh lucius Velaryon fails to control uh what's it arax is dragon yeah, arax yeah. arax to stop fighting to brief on vega and from that aemon tries to control stop vega from uh attacking uh, Arax and uh, Luke, and in, the, in in and basically, what happens is then Luke and Arax are killed by Vagar. Show it really shows up about these these Targaryens. They think they're you know they're like the gods among men and stuff like that. They can't play god with dragons, and it shows mm. that in yep. the wrong hands, these weapons and mask destruction can be the death of you know can be the the you no know, 
the destroyer of worlds. You know, look at the atomic bombs. Uh, Oppenheimer created atomic bombs to fight to, to stop Japan. He didn't want to use them, but he was forced to stop Japan from continuing the war and stopping the de- deaths of millions of American soldiers. And in his speech, he says, I've become death destroyer of worlds. Um, and basically from that, then all these other countries, your superpowers start you know, building nuclear weapons as well. So America, you know, kind of the thing that America created could also be its, its destruction. And that's the same thing with these dragons, these weapon of mass destructions, these kind of nuclear bombs. But they are what the Targaryens created. These are what the Targaryens strive to control, but it also could, it could be their downfall as well. Hmm. Um, and I really love that comparison. Um, so, but it really just sets up just how, like, but also sets up how these dragons. And I and uh, one one of my my posts and I did an episode ten season final post of House of Dragon and basically about this sets up what the dance of dragons is going to be. It's a dance of dragons. It is dragon warfare. It's a war of dragon warfare. Mm. It's this, this it's, is the end of the golden era. Yeah, fire marks, blood. Yeah, yeah. They, honestly, it, like this is going to be like intense. It's a dance. Dance is a battle. In the, uh, as well, dance yeah. is a thing of beauty. Dance of a passion, but also a dance could be hmm. a dance, a dance yeah. of swords. Like, look at you know, I, I, I'm looking at like season one with Arya's Arya's trainer. Yeah, he basically taught her like kind of like the the the, the water water the, dancing, like, the water yeah. dancing. It's like how you use a sword in a, in a fight. It's like a a fight, a sword fight. It's like a dance, a battle. It's like a dance. There is a winner hmm. and a loser. There is kind of like in that. In that dance, there is a story, and uh, and this war is going to be a story. This sto- this war is going to be a dance, but it's between dragons because you see how many dragons there are in this show, and you realize, okay, this is going to be a bloodbath. And the last scenes of this this show, the season, show that bloodbath becoming real, and mm. you get a little taste of what that bloodbath is going to bring. Um, and we see also Damon's trying to get more more dragons on his side for the upcoming war. It's going to be. I can't wait. Like the the role dragons are played are just ones of like beauty and terror. And the scene in um, the coronation of Aegon where um, uh, uh, Ray- Rhaenys's dragon appears is actually true terrifying. The cinematography of that is absolutely amazing yeah. it's like it's like a horror film the kind of the dragon comes out of the I, smoke i thought it was it's... like um like like jaws isn't it yeah yeah the terror is in not seeing the monster yeah and even that shot in storm's end where you see um you see ray uh Arax and then you see vagar like above that shot is terrifying that that what they've done really well with this show is the, especially the cinematographers have done really well is and the set the dark designers have basically shown how terrifying how big of a scale these dragons are uh you know it's mm. not uh yeah you know it's that they, yeah they did a really good job of creating this is scale, this, I think. this is yeah. not pete this is not pete's dragon this is like <laughs> yeah pete's dragon on steroids and more <laughs> fucked up you know this is like yeah um <laughs> Pete's dragon went to the gym and did gear. I did um what do they call it? 
uh, juice. <laughs> Peace Dragon tastes blood for the first time. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sick. Yeah, but it's basically Peace Dragon basically murdered all the characters and been the Peace Dragon story. So, yeah. Um, so, um, talk about the dragons. Um, We'll talk about, about I want to talk a bit about the uh, opening credits actually. Um, so we had the same score as Game of Thrones for the opening credits. Yeah, strange. But I kind of like it because I feel like that is not really the song of Ice and Fire. Well, you could say that is the song of Ice and Fire, and Ice and Fire plays a role in the show. But then, could you say oh, this is basically just a general George R. R. Martin? World adaptation song or sort of theme or something like that. I really don't know how what, what to call it. Um, people were expecting a different, were debating over what the theme was going to be, whether it's going to be the same one, be a different one, whether they liked the same one or like didn't like the same one, or you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And in the first episode, they really didn't show the theme, and you're thinking, oh, okay, that's strange, but it wants it's like a nice little opening. Yeah, I do like when shows have their first episode and there's no opening theme or anything, no opening credits. It goes straight into the story. Second episode, it goes straight into the credits and the theme. And when we see the theme in episode two, I was, I actually was a bit kind of like, oh, did we use the theme? But then I kind of preferred it because I felt like what any other theme that they would have used would be not be the same will be kind of very debatable wouldn't it be very debated people will love it people will hate it and i feel like game of thrones theme is so iconic i think having another theme for this show would not have not have, not have worked in my opinion yeah. um I, d- I don't know see i wouldn't have minded something different It's like, um, yeah, I mean, in a way, you are expanding the world with the themes, but the music, I mean, the music is different than Game of Thrones, in my opinion. The, some of the, Rami Djawadi's score for this, it's so, it's a little bit similarities. I mean, you do get kind of like the, the, the you know, the, the the nearest theme at times, but also you get, I don't know, it just feels like the, the kind of the, the way he, Composes the score for this house dragon is differently does with Game of Thrones just make it different, and, and I really I, I I enjoy it. But with the opening credits, seeing the bloodline of the Targaryens, what do you mm, think about yeah, that? That was that was very cool. Yeah, do you like it? Because some people don't mm. like it. They think it's a bit too like oh, bit people don't get it. I think. Well, I mean, yeah, like people like they'll just see blood like running like everywhere through like what looks like. Um, Viserys is sort of like um, model city is yeah. uh, is is Lego project, but um, I didn't realize like at first like being dumb I guess um, that each like different like seal like the different like um, clockwork like seals was a member of the family. Yeah, but um, obviously it became more obvious like later on, like with more uh, children being born into the um, the Targaryens. More, you know, like some of them, especially sort of like you see, um, and in, in the end, Aemon's um, sapphire eye as his like symbol. Um, and I think it was like the the necklace Daemon gives um, Rhaenyra. That's like her like seal. 
Yeah. But um, yeah, like it, it's really good. And like, I like how one, one of them is when like um, the blood is like pouring down into like a waterfall and the camera goes through the blood. That was, that's really cool. In the last episode, they showed, they lit, they lit up, they light up the table in Dragonstone. Yeah. Mm. Which was very, very cool. Would you reckon if they made, when they made season two, the opening credits will be that just kind of the light up table showing kind of maybe the, the, the bat, the, the the war, how it's playing out, and it changes every episode. Hmm. Do, do you reckon you like that? Do you reckon you like that, or do you reckon you rather it'd be better to stick with the whole bloodline thing? I mean, if like um, continuity-wise, they should stick with like the same thing because of like Game yeah. of Thrones. Yeah, you know, I they, agree. They, they they sort of kept it sort of similar. Um, but when they went to like different places, obviously they changed it up a little bit. So you know, like maybe when characters will die, like obviously it showed oh when Viserys God. died, his yeah. seal filled up with blood. Oh, that's gonna be so interesting when the, so when the show. Know, we, we'll see. You know, <laughs> when the show cows over, and you just see the blood, just like the seals covered in blood everywhere. And you're like, okay, now you know who's died or not. It'd be quite interesting actually if mm. they actually spoiled it. And if on, a, on an episode character dies, it actually showed seal covered in blood in the opening credits to see yeah. the viewers actually spot it. Um, that'd be quite interesting. Um, but no, I really enjoyed the the opening credits. Um, it we this is about the Targaryen line. This is the House of the Dragon. This is the yeah. Targaryen house. So blood obviously, if it, it, it fits with the kind of the blood of the dragon that's rolling through. Um, and it's literally like a family tree, isn't it? That, that's, that's, that's what they've done. And it takes over the whole of like um, the world that the King of King's Landing, you've got Dragonstone and all that. Um, uh, it would be quite interesting they show the, 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 the Valerion, Valeria, um, have that in, in the um, show in the future. But I mean, if they're making this anthology series and having set different seasons with different time periods, and events i think that kind of one will stick i think mm. uh, um let's talk about um uh, let's talk about um the um a bit you know about the the war of the stepstones so the stepstones the triarch the triarchy basically take over the stepstones and the stepstones like this major kind of like you know route for traveling and yeah. trading and it becomes like a major uh the triarchy taking over um this uh, what's good the, the crab feeder that's it yeah yeah um and the triarchy taking over the stepstones basically makes a massive uh threat to the to the realm and through this basically we see that damon and Collis valarion join together because the service is very adamant about being involved yeah and through this, then we see Damon perform probably the best action scene of the show, which is you know in episode three, uh, when he fakes surrenders and he fights the crab feeder. Um, really, <laughs> yeah. what do you think about the whole how the, the plot line, the plot arc of the Stepstones War? I think it was good. Mm. I mean, like people are saying, like, oh, you know, we don't really see a lot of it, but then again, the show is more focused on King's Landing, isn't it? Yeah, dedicates itself in this this season in particular to creating the sort of like political intrigue and like the the relationships of the people in there because it is like the capital of the seven kingdoms. 
So it is going to be the most important. Do you think it's a bit of like a... Is, do you reckon it's been used as well to show a bit of a kind of a taste of what dragons are like in combat in this show? Yeah. As a setup yeah. for like the Dance of Dragons. Yeah, yeah definitely. You know, because they want to show that, like, they want to show how powerful they are in terms of like um, uh, a faction which doesn't have dragons, you know. And But maybe also showing the, their drawbacks, you know, that they, they aren't just, um, they aren't weapons that can, you know, they aren't like definitely going to destroy your enemy. If it's used correctly, or if the enemy can like outwit the dragon and its rider, then it's not like uh, the best weapon ever. It can have hindrances. That's why. Yeah. That's why I appreciate. I think with um, with that, and um, and also showing how um, you can't really um, be precise with how you use dragon. So when he showed them that um, Targaryen loyalist being tortured by the crab feeder. And then he's, you know, he, he's so happy, he's so elated that Damon's arrived on Caraxes. And then, you know, he's like, you know, crying out for, oh, you know, my, my prince, you know. And then um, Caraxes just accidentally steps on him. Yeah. It is a brutal, like, hammer of war. You know, it's not, it's not like, a, um, you know, like a precision, like, scalpel or something. It is, it is a sledgehammer. It's like being run over by a tank, isn't it? In yeah, it is. Yeah, it's but, like but in a, a war, you are going to be hit by a tank, you know, because it's all so chaotic. Yeah. There's no order. It's just, it's just chaos. Like, yeah. Well, it, it's a tank that you can't really control that well. You can't really direct the uh, the actual like gun on the on the tank, you know, at all. You just sort of like aim it in the general direction and hope it hits. But even fight uh, fire missiles in the in the battle, it's like. Yeah. How many chances are like even your allies are going to be killed in it because it's so chaotic? Like you, you know, it's it's a battle. Like there's no order in bat in well, there's no order in battles. To be honest, mm. even if they say the Ro- the Romans yeah. had the order in battles, there was still chaos. Yeah. Well, I mean, when Caraxes arrived uh, on the Stepstones, they literally used a fog of war. There was a f- it was like a, a smoke grenade, like a fog. Yeah, they literally used fog of war. Um, but um, I, I think I want to touch upon like a controversy. Well, it wasn't really a controversy, but a lot of the sort of like toxic fans and stuff, they didn't really appreciate that um, House of Valarian were going to be cast. Uh, they were going to cast black actors to portray them, but still with the the very um, iconic uh, silvery white uh, Valyrian hair. Honestly, um, I don't. I don't really care about. Yeah, the, I mean, the, obviously, the it's a deviation. Captains. It's a deviation from the books, yes. But I forget the actor's name. But the the actor that they had to portray Corlys, the sea snake, was phenomenal. Yeah. Whenever yeah. he was on the screen, he chewed up the scenery. Oh, Stephen Toussaint is an amazing actor. Yeah. Like, and this is what shows done really well. The the actors in this, like, I would compare the actors in. Wings of Power to House Dragon, and there's not many a lot of like actors and actresses House Dragon that the people recognize. This has got like this is you know Game of Thrones done one of the things done Game of Thrones done so well is is use of actors having A list actors, B list actors, even to like new actors and stuff like actresses, etc. And with this show, like the use of actors and actresses are is phenomenal, like. They're not too big, like not like it's not like a Tom Cruise, but they're ones that people will recognize. As Steve Trishant is like, you know, I'm glad he's got a role that people would kind of remember him for in the show because he's been in a bunch of stuff. 
Same with Paddy Considine. Yeah. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. Um, Paddy Considine uh, Considine hasn't had like a um, you know Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man sort of role, right? No. But but this could be his Iron Man because Paddy Considine, right? If he doesn't have an Emmy because of this, there's going to be hell to pay, right? Yeah. His portrayal as King Viserys is phenomenal. This man, that literally power is killing him. He has a disease, yes, but he is meant to be like showing that this good man is literally falling apart because of, of power. You know, like power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Right. Obviously, so... he, he's so desperate to remain a good man. And as a result, his body is decaying. Well, he, he's also trying to keep his family together. And yeah. Because he's he's trying to keep the family together, he's, he's losing his, his will, his energy. And he's becoming more corrupted because the family is corrupt. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. if, 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 if I don't know if you've, not, you've said this before but um, or you noticed it, but you know the dinner scene in episode eight? There, he's sitting next to Rhaenyra and Alicent, and this the, the face. So his um, so his uh, right side of his face is basically all corrupted mm. and stuff. And who's sitting next to him on the right is Alicent. Yeah, that was that face... was very on the nose. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's really that that is probably that in my opinion, episode eight was the best episode of the season, mm. and I that was. Paddy's best performance as Viserys in that episode because it's so sad because you know what's going to happen. And me, you, we are cursed with knowledge of uh, yeah. this, what's going to happen with this uh, with this war and what it's going to lead to. And watching it, and I'm just like, he's trying to keep everyone together. He's trying to make everyone the family, keep everyone the family, but he can't. And I just feel, and then you know what actually what breaks my heart is it's a moment in that episode, that scene, where he knows that he cannot save his family from each other. And he, he kind of accepts it. And it's very heartbreaking. But also when he leaves, mm. what happens? The family falls apart. Rhaenyra and Alicent struggle to control their children. There's there's fighting going on. Eamon and Damon square off. It's Viserys holding the family together and you could see know that when he with his death it all falls apart. Um but also with that, that scene you know that Alison to Anira they they are trying to kind of come to a con- agreement was to find the middle ground towards each other but it's because of their rivalry towards each other their bitterness their distrust towards each other has kind of resulted in that continuing on in their children which i feel like it's a sins we talk about sins to the fathers but it's a sins to the mothers when it comes to this isn't mm. it? um how these children just dislike one another because and it's fueled by the dislike Rhaenyra and Alison have towards each other. But, you know, may disagree with me on that, but that's what I see. And Viserys is basically the one, as I keeping everyone together. And he basically goes to the the throne room 
basically uses up a lot of his energy in order to protect Rhaenyra because his weakness and his, you know, the, the, his, the, him dying, really, his slow death over time, like his, his, his illness has basically allowed this corruption to take over in mm. a root. Um, and he basically arrives with a king's kind of, like going to a battle, like a king's arrival in a battle to save and help Venera to defend Venera because he knows that Venera will not, um, will not succeed in uh, getting, you know, given uh, the service of the rule of the right to rule Driftmark. Mm. And that's another thing as well. Is like they bring up like um, more so than like Game of Thrones is like the like inheritance and um i think like bastardy as well so like illegitimate children and questioning whether people are you know the illegitimate is or you know like these they call them calumnies you know like just like lies um and it's i think especially sort of like bringing in that uh rainiera's um children by well whether or not it is by um leno valarian I mean, they obviously make it very, um, it's, um, it's obvious, like, in the books that um, they aren't Leno's uh, children because of, like, you know, the hair colour and stuff. But um, the show, you know, makes it, like, concrete because, obviously, (laughs) I mean, come on. Like, everyone's just blind and everyone's just so scared of pissing off the king that they just don't want to air it. And then eventually... It has to be Vaymond, uh, Valarian, who says it. It, it. it is really good, you know, and, and showing that, yeah, like, you know, they're bastard, bastards, but they, they, they are really wholesome. Like Jace and Luke, and well, we haven't seen Joffrey that much, but the, the, the boys are really sweet, and they, 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 they're innocent, really. They've been brought up well. And um, yeah, but, they're, they're the better, they're the yeah. better boys. Yeah, the, the Valarian to, boys um, are good. Yeah, yeah, and and they have more like a healthy relationship with um, themselves and, and their parents, I guess. But you have the Targaryen boys, so we have like um, uh, Aegon and um, Aemond, who are absolute twats. Oh my god! Yeah, actually, actually, I mean. It is kind of one to one with the books. They do a really good job, though, in the show of fleshing out Eamon's character, showing yeah. as well like a, a vulnerable side to him, which is very, very good. But he, he um, um, uh, Ewan um, Mitchell, I think, for Ewan him. Mitchell, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is so different compared to like, because I watched him in The Last Kingdom and he's like, he's called the baby monk. So he yeah. is basically his monk, but as part of Utrid's um, gang. And he's kind of like uh, you know, like the the one that they have banter with, and he's, he's kind oh, of do, like do the... they just like they haze him all the time? No, he's he's but he's like uh, he's kind of like the the funny side, not a funny sidekick, but he's kind of like the comic. Is he more of like a yeah, comic relief, like yeah, of the group, yeah? And ha- like he's not really that respected by the gang, but they do they treat him they they do, they, they they respect him a bit, but not fully. Hmm. Like he's he's like the one in the in the in the group that's kind of like oh you know haha like we're gonna get you drunk and stuff like that you know hmm. like uh, that time but but he's still different than this he's like this he's very more vulnerable he's a bit more of a uh, like a you know a, a an asshole but also what they've done well is the big difference with the books again 
back to Storm's End, the kind of the, the chase in Storm's End. Yeah, I he mean, he doesn't intend to kill Luke. Well, 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 it's like it's never like stated. Like we we no. don't know in the book what happened. We all we know is that um, somewhere over Storm's End, Arax and uh, Luke were killed. Mm. That that's well, they they died. We, we that's all we know because. But historians have no idea. They're not omnipotent. You know, they're not omniscient people. They're humans. All we know is that he died. And Eamon just happened to be there. Giving it but... context and ex- expanding it out and sitting, showing that Eamon didn't even want to kill him. Yeah. He just wanted but retribution. also, you can feel sorry for Eamon because it wasn't like the Valarian boys were kind of saints either. They treated him like shit. And when he gave uh, receive uh, Vega. He had a boost of kind of confidence in himself. Yeah, yeah. But then he lost an eye because, in a way, also he was trying to protect himself. I mean, Lee is a bully. And is obviously, you know, years of bullying can lead someone to do that. They become the bully themselves, and he does. And then when he loses an eye, you realize, okay, this is not. This has gone out the window. You know, like he's always going to be. He's scarred for life. You know, if I was blinded by somebody you know i would never get never forgive them for what they've done you know and you know mm. jesus said an eye for an eye isn't it so <laughs> aim and the whole rest of the show is just tries to get luke to give up an eye <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um these to be honest oh, sorry, he does deserve an eye because luke was the one that bullied him and well but, but you know, like, is it, is it right though? You know, for like, still, like, him to demand like something? No, like that? no. Yeah. I'm just looking at the reasons why, and <laughs> I can understand why. I don't, I don't. I personally feel like, okay, you did bully this this kid because Aegon, he is the second. He's just, he's just, he's a spare. Aegon's heads the throne. Aemon's a spare. So Aemon's been trying to prove himself, and you know. In episode six, it's like, oh, you'll get a dragon one day. Oh, yeah. wait, you've got a pig instead, a boar. You know, yeah. a pig. So it's, did, it's, did it's like see, brilliant. Um, yeah. yeah, they call it the pink dread, don't they? they yeah, um, yeah. So somewhere in, like, it's tiny, like, in the background. Um, Viserys' like, model city has a, a little statuette of a, a pig with wings as a little reference, which is re- really cute. But... Oh, my God, it's so good. But in my in my but to be honest, yeah. To be honest, if you you know, it's kind of like a lesson learned. Like don't bully somebody because <laughs> they'll come yeah. back. And, they'll yeah, come back and they'll not forget it. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll come back with the the largest dragon on earth. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> the famous character, I, I really enjoy. He, you could tell he's got a massive hard on for like Damon because <laughs> yeah, cause, well, well, because he, he's. He hates him, but he also wants to be him, isn't it? Yeah, he, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's what he aspires to. I be. loved it when Damon basically chops off Vayman's head, uh, head, and everybody in the room was shocked, apart from uh, uh, Eamon was looking at Damon like, oh my god, like, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> Papa, it is, is that you? It's like, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, 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 it's absolutely, yeah, it's, it's insane. Um. Uh, it's absolutely insane, and and with Aegon as well. Aegon, he just shows that he's like a Joffrey character, and basically, but he, he know, didn't want the power though, did he? Until no. he was he was there, and they saw you know because he wanted love. That's like all, all his character. He was already fucked up before that though. Yeah, 
like and it's it's basically it shows it's a very it's a nurturing thing like he wasn't born this fucked up he was basically hmm. nurtured by his mother to be this fucked up and but they're all pretty weird aren't they like even like helena like she is she's very um helena... she has like she has like predict you know, like predictive sort of like visions doesn't she but yeah she, she's more innocent but yeah, and you feel like obviously Helena is kind of the most innocent one out of the out of the children because she's obviously mm. forced to marry Aegon. Aegon doesn't really care about her, and also like you know, again this is like the incest thing with brother and sister. But also you feel in, you feel innocent for her, which makes what happened later on in the dance way worse. And I won't, we were not going to go into that because it's a massive spoiler. Mm. Um, but it's you know the it's you know you notice with a Aegon's crown that they give to um Aegon the second. It's yeah. Aegon, the Conqueror's crown is black, is one of conquest and bloodshed. Whilst yeah. the crown gives it's the crown, it's Jahira's crown given to Rhaenyra, it's one of peace mm. and the stability, and it's a lot more kind of colourful. Yeah. So it's like you know the light and the dark, mm. really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the um in the book, the crown of Aegon the Conqueror is meant to be like a circlet of Valyrian steel, uh, with okay. chunks of massive like blood red rubies. Oh, Bla- okay. black and black and red. Well, it's yeah, smoky like sort of like um, it's black. Uh, it's, metal. it's like black it's like and blood, red, isn't yeah. it? The color well, of blood, isn't it? Well, it, black and red are the colors of Targaryens. Yeah, yeah but also red. You see, it's the color of blood, isn't it? Fi- and... Fire and blood. Yeah, and also black is kind of very... Yeah. It's a corruptive colour, black, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I kind of seem like... That basically shows that, like, Aegon is, you know, kind of... Aegon, really, is the more corrupted one, whilst... And he's going to be one of the more, kind of... His reign's going to be one of bloodshed and um, and conquest and war, whilst Rhaenyra's one is going to be more... She's trying to keep the realm stable. And um, mm. kind of keep the peace. I feel like that's quite, right, quite interesting how the how the crowns um, symbolise what what that individual yeah. wears them is going to do. Mm. And um, another character we'll talk about as well is Sir Kristen Cole. Uh, yeah, Sir Kristen Cole. So he's got he has the newest Sir friend. This is so. This is the biggest simp in all the Seven Kingdoms. Mm. A man that has not gone over, basically being used in a sexual way by a woman. Um, <laughs> so, but to be honest, he's a bit of an idiot, in my opinion. What do you expect? Mm. Like, and then he's like, he he's basically. So he starts off. He's like, he comes like the, the handsome knights of like the you know the Prince Charming. Where well, like, he, well, he's meant to be literally the White Knight. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It, it, that's where like it's meant to be a parody isn't it of he is like a white knight and look, yeah. how, look, look how like corruptible he is yeah yeah so he starts off with as yes, the white knight who said he he defeats Damon in the tourney and you're like you know he's he's from this um common how you know common home and stuff like that he hasn't he's not from a big house and Rhaenyra and Alison's kind of got that kind of you know teenage crush on him and stuff like mm. that you know um and um, basically, Rhaenyra gets him sworn in as one of the King's Guard. He becomes a protector, and basically, she has he, they become close. 
and she basically uses him for like her. Well, I'll say she does actually use him. It's not like. Oh, yeah, she does use him, yeah. Yeah, and for like being her first, and he basically. He basically, uh, you know, kind of his vows, he breaks his vows to do it because King's Guards cannot hold no lands, can't father no children, cannot take no wife, etc. They can't have sex. And he breaks that vow and he basically, and then he comes attracted towards her. He wants to run away because he feels guilty for what, what he's done. He feels like he feels like himself, he feels dirty. And Venera basically said, you know, basically, like, I can't do that. I've got a role. Mm, yeah. And he basically can't accept it because, in a way, in, basically, she used him. And he basically has his, he's against Venera. And then in the, in the wedding scene with uh, her and uh, Lucerion, um, he basically kills Joffrey, Lucerion's uh, secret lover. Because um, Joffrey has made a joke about, you know, you fancy the princess, and you could tell that, like, in in a way, the chains are off, and Kristen has kind of be- has come become a broken, kind of aggressive man. Like, I feel like a tawny. When we see him fight in a tawny, it's very like there's a little bit of order to it. Like he has to fight because it's a tawny, yeah. yeah? Whilst with this, he's, he's he's killing people, and he just loses it. Like the kind of like he's he's trying to he's trying to keep control, but now because Venera has basically broken that control, he's basically snapped. He kills Joffrey. He kills um, one of the council members for speaking the truth. Really, yeah, he killed Beesbury. Yeah, he, which he, happens... killed, he killed my G Beesbury. But yeah, that, happens, that happens in the book anyway. But yeah, in the well, book, we, we he don't know. We him, don't know what he? happens. Yeah. No, he stabbed him in the book, doesn't he? We, we, we don't know. Um, one of the sources says, "Oh yeah, he didn't die there. He was just imprisoned until the end of the war, and then he just died anyway of a chill." Yeah, I swear we, he we, gets we don't know. I swear. Well, he gets one of one of the sources say he got stabbed, but they and then okay. they don't even know by who. Um, but but that's why I think it's good because even like stuff like this, like the really weird stuff. Even book uh, readers are going to be shocked when it happens because we don't know for definite what "quote unquote" actually happened. It's mm. fun, and and like knowing what's going to happen when Kristen moved like behind Beesbury, I got a chill down my spine because like I knew what was going to happen. But even then, you know, like you see like um, uh, Thailand Lannister like move away. All this stuff is like being set up for like later on. Yeah. It is. It is amazing. Honestly, I find it really cool how like each um, council, uh, um, small council member has those little like um, I don't know what it is like the, the like stones. It's like oh, you know, they, they're in session, so they put their stone down. It's really cool. And it, it, yeah, it's 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 like when the, the, the things are down, it's like all the business. But also hmm. that stone is kind of like a, a badge of kind of your authority, your position. badge of office, isn't it? Yeah. As well, as well, it's like it's like having a name on your office. Like in the workplace, if you have your own office, to shine hmm. that you are very high up. Yeah. As well, um, and go back to Kristen Cole. This is really he hates Rhaenyra to the point where sometimes it can be a bit kind of like okay, Chris. But then again, it's really Rhaenyra like hasn't really Rhaenyra 
is a consequence of Rhaenyra because she does kind of play around as like the princess with, hmm. with knowing that she has rules to follow, but she doesn't follow them. She's kind of like, you know, we all go through kind of like when we're young, going through kind of a rebel, a rebel phases. And with Rhaenyra, <laughs> she goes through a rebel phase. But she doesn't realize until the end that it does have consequences. And it's very, and that's why it's hard sometimes to kind of. I've got a love hate relationship with Rhaenyra hmm. at times, or kind of like not love hate relationship, more like I'm sometimes I'm very sympathetic towards her. Sometimes yeah. I'm kind of like, well, well, well she, you, she's you deserve that. She's like a good that. character because she's so imperfect. Imperfect, and, exactly. And, but when, um, when you know, um, is it, um, Luke, uh, like says, you know, oh, you know, like you're so perfect she smiles you know like like sadly because she knows that she's not perfect yeah yeah but she, it's like almost like she wishes she was to to be the person that um she knows uh, to, to be the person her children think she is yeah you 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 could read into that from her smiling that's what i did it is it's that see this is what happens when you have good actors and and like well-written scenes god this show's good <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's uh, and we also we all know Kristen Cole's gonna play a massive role in the, the dance yeah. as well. I kind of wish he had a bigger role in the actual king making decision, yeah, yeah, because so he, he is called you know, like Kristen Cole, the king maker in, in like you know, the, the books and stuff, <laughs> but you know, <sighs> yeah, I kind of wish he had more of like an active role and not just put the crown on Aegon's head. But he he gets he becomes he gets an active role later on, doesn't he? Mm. In the in the dance, which I won't spoil. Well, yeah, but um, you you kind of wish that it was more um, I don't know that he was more forceful. He just seems to be like in the background and does whatever Alison says for him to do. Yeah, yeah, but but um, well, I I want to like sort of like pivot and touch upon um. We are introduced to like the next sort of like Varys slash Littlefinger <laughs> um, character in the form of uh, Laris Strong. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you are like George R. R. Martin can be quite heavy handed sometimes because he literally named this character Laris, which is almost like a portmanteau of Littlefinger and Varys. Oh, I didn't think about that. It, you oh, know, it, it's like a a, um, a portmanteau. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very James Bond ish, right? Of like this this villain who has a sort of like a, a deformity. It's very old fashioned. I'll I'll say that. But um, yeah, the, the fact of the matter is, we have this um, character now called Laris the Clubfoot, who manages to politic his way into being the king's confessor, who. Um, Literally, he is a fancy way of saying he tortures people for the king to get like information out of them. Well, no, um, no, no, not not for for service though. Oh, sorry, um, but you know, for for the um, for the for the the crown for the throne. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. he's like the official torturer. <laughs> That's his job title. But um, he has a foot fetish. I I feel like this was very. Um, uh, it wasn't needed, but because um, yeah, the, the memes, the memes are fantastic. Yeah, but he's got club foot, so obviously he's gonna be obsessed with feet. But, because, but, but like, but he hasn't got the, perfect the memes, feet. 
He has the, the perfect <laughs> feet. That's why he's obsessed with feet. Because then you think it, the memes were funny when they said like, oh, we, "You've heard of Hand of the King. Now look at this, Feet of the Queen." Honestly, I don't know who has more obsession with feet, him or Queen of Tarantino, but like, you know. Well, did you see the latest episode of Andor? I kept on thinking, like, because there's loads of, like, close-up shots of feet. I kept on thinking, like, Jesus, was, like, the guest director Quentin Tarantino or something? But, I um, I think, yeah. every, every, I think every director has an obsession with feet, to be honest. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know why. Uh, I, I'm not going to go into about the why the feet, the, why feet are shot in the media it's a bit it's a bit strange um <laughs> but yeah so he basically he's on the well he's kind of like on the side of allison but Alice, but he ba- basically allison has a problem where oh i need harwin gone and his father so i can get my my father back as otto hightower so uh lara's like yeah that's fine i will kill my uh brother and father you don't see that Lara has got an issue. He's doing it so a he can take over Harrenhal and become the ma- the, the main um, leader of um, of the strong family. But also, in a way, he's in good books with Allison. But also, he has got bad. He has got dirt on Allison as well. It's very little finger, isn't it? He's obviously trying to. And Varys, more little finger than Varys, to be honest, because Varys is doing it for the safety, the peace in the realm, apparently. Mm. While Littlefinger does all this in the Game of Thrones just so he can get into high well, positions of power. Well, which I, I feel mean, like that's what he says Alex... that, but he's also like his own like family's political maneuvering, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Better yeah. in their standing. Yeah. So Varys is basically. He is. He is basically knows every all the suspicious stuff that goes on and all that, and he uses his kind of um, his basic information or to progress in the kind of the courts and be like, okay, I've got this, I can help you, but you need to do something for me. Um, which I feel like he also he killed his brother. Um, father because he can get some feet feet uh, uh slips from um Alicent, which is a bit weird that's the episode seems so weird but also but what 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 is what do you think about the fear that he is um he can walk into a rat <laughs> Jesus that's interesting you know there's always a rat in every single most of, uh, in it's just in meant that. to show like decay and stuff that would be very interesting though if it was there's a there's a big theory that he is he can walk because he's got because he's like Bran can walk into it because Bran is basically crippled. Lara's got clubfoot, so you could say that he can have the power of walking as well into animals, and he walked into a rat because rats rats are symbolism of rats are symbolism of kind of dirty yeah uh the filthy, corruption and stuff, isn't corruption, it? but also rats can fit into the smallest of places. So you make that as it will. It's it probably be a theory that will never be answered. It would just be a nice little theory, but I kind of like mm. it. I kind of like that he could be a warg, um, and could walk into a rat, and you know, um, basically he walked into a rat because that's what he is. He's a rat. You know, he's a 
eat a little rat. Um, another was a narc. So, um, yeah. Um, and with La, La, so yeah, and also as well with Laris, we have got, um, what's the name? Uh, Missaria, who kind of uses dirty little secrets and info in order to kind of progress herself, isn't it, to a position of power? But mm-hmm. it's kind of like within Fleabot. Now, I'm confused a bit what's going on with Missaria because is she, is she like being brought in to be Damon's to be Damon's kind of secret mistress and then it becomes more, kind of more like she's just an, a character that appears in the episodes because she appears in some episodes and she doesn't appear and then it's, it, it's basically that like she's playing the same like, game to Laris's. What do you what do you think? Yeah, I sort of she's she's meant to be the sort of like the original master of whisperers, like mistress yeah. of whisperers. You know, she creates that that role, and then that role is is used then throughout history. Uh, <laughs> I really think it was a bit underused. Her sort of like writing wasn't the best. She just went, you know, it, it, the plot like demanded like a spy master. So they were like, oh, remember her? You know, yeah, like look how well she's doing. No like explanation of like how she's managed to do this. You know, because like, with them. Uh, with you see um sort of like varus like it's sort of like ex- explained that he was already he has this, this established web already at the start mm. but we see mazaria without it first so like having the oh yeah a couple of years come by we see her again and she's this powerful woman it's a bit i don't know seemed i don't know she's just gonna be I didn't I like it. she's gonna be a character that's gonna appear like in a couple certain episodes throughout the dance playing like a role you know it's kind of like an inform mm. not an informant but kind of like someone who can go to information for resources etc um because she plays a big role in like an event that takes place quite close to mm. uh beginning of the dance as well uh what do you think of her accent because it's been very con- cri- critical of her accent I don't even know what accent uh, she has. I mean, like, is is that like, um, I don't know. <laughs> I can't believe... Is that I like her know. resting accent? Is that like the actual like um, actress's accent? I know because no, she she's not. meant to be from like one of the free cities in the books. She's meant to be like uh, Lysine, a uh, Lysini, okay, which is Lysine, meant to be yeah, like yeah. they look like Valyrians as well. So she would have the same, you know, sort of like silvery hair as the Targs. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, because they wanted the cast sort of like, you know, a more like, div- they wanted to have a diverse cast, so they cast, um, I don't know the actress's name, but obviously they had her. I think she did a good job, like, in the first half of the season. It's just the writing just fell off. In I, feel, of other I, characters. I, I, I feel like with her character, it's really just showing that she is a whore that was basically, like, you know, used as kind of an uh, object by men. Mm. But she has become she has come out of that and become like an independent kind of strong woman herself. I think that's basically what, that's what she is. Mm. Cause later, you know, when we first see her, she's basically kind of like the mistress of Damon, like the, you know, kind of the, the, the whore of Damon. And then later on then when Damon kind of marries, um, Lena and then later Rhaenyra, um, Missaria, Missaria becomes more kind of like she 
grows to become having her own kind of business and etc. So it's basically an example of a woman who's able to kind of hold this high position and successfulness in this in this world that's for the men. I think that's basically what her character is, really. Mm. Um, you know, like having like a having like a woman who becomes the first CEO of a company in like a in a in a business in an industry that is a dom uh, dominated by male CEOs, something like that, you know. Um, and it's kind of more like she has no kind of alliances with any any characters, any of the mm. greens of the black. So she's really just like on the side, but she's able to kind of give information as a way of like, you know, uh, you know, be able to improve her position and kind of uh, as well speak up about some of the cruelties going on Fleet Button. As I said, she talks to Otto and she said, I know where Aegon is. You can, I can tell you it is, but you got to deal with something about the child, the child fighting pits in Fleet Bottom. Mm. It, it's like, it's, it's, she's become like the face of like the, the poor people of um, the capital. Yeah. So I feel like she's going to play like a massive role going on into the second second season as well. Um speaking about um the Damon, we talk about a little bit more about Damon. Damon is kind of more of the, you know, he's kind of the more unhinged brother. <laughs> and yeah. you can see that he is basically not do you reckon it's haunted by being like the spare? So he's never really well, yeah. given much love by Viserys and he tries to find his own way in the world. And that's basically what the Warner Stepstones is. It's a way for Corliss and kind of Damon to become like, make a name for themselves in the in this world. And then he really becomes like, like, you know, the, oh, what's, what do what you call it? Um, the prince, the king consort to a nearer. Yeah. And he could, he's basically much the bloodthirsty type of that, the, of the blacks. She wants war, but you can understand why he wants it because deep down he loves his brother and he wants to look after him. Mm. But because of his own kind of amb aggressive ambitions and his kind of character, that's why Viserys tries to get rid of him. Yeah. Tries to keep him away from the court. Well, he, because... he wants to keep him like busy, doesn't he? Because I think yeah. he, even though he knows that he's essentially like a monster, he wants to like because he, he, he's his brother. He wants yeah. to keep him on side because he loves him. But um, yeah, I thought their like dynamic was really good, actually. Um, yeah, Matt Smith. Like I was initially like, you know, like oh, like Matt Smith is Damon. That's a bit weird. You know, I, I wouldn't have thought it, but um, yeah, I, I thought it, it worked really well. Def he he, yeah, he did embody, I think, this sort of like rock star sort of like character. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and yeah, and um, it's quite funny how this huge fan base mm. over uh, Damon, and then, like one of the writers yeah. is like, I don't know why people are obsessed with Damon. He's literally a horrible person. Like you know, he's supposed yeah. to be like the example of toxic masculinity. He's supposed to be the example of like the kind of how the kind of the more horrible male in like the relationship isn't it like he chokes mm. he chokes Rhaenyra because in a way he's kind of sick of hearing about his brother but also he's trying to show that like you need to be more aggressive and both also, but also he, he shows his impatience doesn't it 
And then she laughs yeah. at him because he doesn't know about the princess promise and a way of basically showing that you are beneath me. Mm. I'm above yeah. you. Which I think how that dynamic is going to play in late in late in the later seasons is going to be interesting. Um, because he plays a massive role in um the war, the civil yeah. war. I thought um, this show does a really good like job in just like um, setting up such a huge cast and a huge world. I, I mean, I know they didn't have to do that much heavy lifting compared to like Game of Thrones because the world is essentially established, I guess. But yeah, they needed to set the scene. This is a different time period, you know. They need to. That was difficult, wasn't it? To set aside, like you know, yet you know, remember this, like because you need to think, cause, like if you want to do say medieval London compared to now there'll be some sites which are recognizable but also there's definite change isn't it i like how this show is not like nostalgia baiting showing your face like some like something mm. what star wars has done where star wars is like oh do you remember this or they say something you're like oh, okay you know like this is obviously a show that is a prequel there are going to be examples that it's going to be like the mem- mem- member berries, like member this or they mention stuff, but it's not like in your face, isn't it? It's not mm. like they're trying to be so like, oh yeah, remember this about this in Game of Thrones, or well, we're going to mention it here, but it doesn't make sense. It all makes sense by the stuff they use, like the Red Keep, the Dragon Pits, the Starks. The Starks aren't just the Starks are mentioned or what like twice. They're not even show- Winterfell's not shown yet. I'm, I'm glad because. It's not like, you know, oh, yeah, like, we don't need to have the Starks shoved in there so people can be like, yeah, this is Game of Thrones. Like, the Targaryens yeah. already have that much of kind of that impression and no, people know about them to be able to be like, we don't need to have the, Tar- the Starks Lancers in, like, every episode just to prove that, like, you know. You know, it can be really, it can be really cringy if you had, like... Um, uh, Thailand Lannister, and then you had like the rain, uh, the rains or something with them. <laughs> yeah, and he'd be like, "Okay, ha ha, funny, funny," but it's not like that. It's really, really, it's really, really, um, it's good. It's not, it's not, mem- it's not constant memory berries, is it? It's yeah. not like nostalgia baiting for the sake of nostalgia baiting to get people to be like, "Oh, do you remember this?" And that's why mm-hmm. I appreciate a lot about the show. It's, um, and I feel like a lot more prequel shows should do that. Rather than trying to make it more kind of like, and that's what the issue to have Obi Wan Kenobi the show because there was a bit more too many member berries moments in it. Yeah, I mean the writing in general wasn't that great. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, another thing I want to talk about, which is um, it's quite interesting, but it's also like another theory: is the Grand Mesa conspiracy. Ah, uh, yeah. So the Grand Mesa conspiracy idea about the Maesters basically Dave against the magic and their all favor and science so they're trying to get rid of targaryens and get rid of the dragons and then there's a theory that um i don't think this is going to be shown in the show i don't think this is going to be like proven in the mm. show it's, i like it just being a little conspiracy theory that the maesters orchestrated this type succession crisis in order to wipe out the dragons and there are moments in the show, I feel like Ryan Condor and George R. R. Martin have done it in a way to kind of tease the fans a little bit. Mm. The idea that the Maces are giving a lot of drugs to Viserys, which could actually be killing him. 
I kind of yeah. like maybe you're doing it as a way to trying to kill him. Um, how? What? What do you think about that? The Grand Mesa conspiracy, is a, 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 in, a, in a general sense, we touched on it before when we touched on our prelude episode. But like, what do you think about like? Do you reckon they could use this in throughout the show? I think they could. I mean, you definitely see, you know, as we were saying, like Otto and like him with like the, um, uh, like sending the messages out to old, yeah. uh, you, you guess it's Old Town and his interactions with his brother Holbert was very strange. Um, but then, you know, it's really weird because like the conspiracy is, is, is three pronged in that Old Town is home at this time to the faith and the maesters uh, and House Hightower. So, you know, and they're all really interconnected with the House Hightower. Like, you know, a lot of like the High Septons has been members of the family, a lot of the Maesters as well. So they are very well connected and their interests align as well, uh, coincide rather. But yeah, I think it'd be really cool if like they just keep on just teasing towards it. And it, like yeah. someone say like someone who you wouldn't even think like stumbles upon it, like um, Damon. But he he needs to like you know he, he tries to like convince people, but just ends up just continuing just, just to fight the war because he realizes that convincing people is useless. That'd be interesting. Mm. Yeah, that that'd be interesting. Again, it's like a theory, and like it could be true, true or not. But it's kind of like a nice little um, theory that. Um, mm. But also, the book, the Fine Blood book, is written in the point of view of a maester. So yeah. The Maces do play a massive role in this um in the show and the events that the in the book as well. Um so going into season two, we're gonna see definitely see Winterfell, that's been confirmed. We're gonna see the Starks more. Mm. Um I I mean there's and obviously I don't want to touch on the event that happens later on because it's big spoilers, but you you can see that this is gonna be like yeah. okay. The kind, the quietness is gone, uh, and the peace is gone now. It's just going to be yeah. constant war, and it's going to feel very much like kind of the Clash of Kings. Kind of, we're going to get Clash of King, King and Queen. We're going to get similar to what we saw in season two of Game of Thrones and season three. Mm. And I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. And also, you're going to have the kind of the schemes and the, the court. Um, the court schemes and the kind of conspiracies of of an all that, and then you're going to see a lot of death and a lot of tragedy. It, it's the Shakespeare's is going to get, and this show is very <laughs> Shakespearean, and I love it for as it is. Um, and there's some moments in the show that are so Shakespearean. Like I mentioned, I think I mentioned to you before, there's a scene in episode four where Viserys has got Damon on the floor in the throne room. And he's ah, got a yeah. dagger. That's very. Yeah. I just got Hamlet vibes watching that. Yeah. I I got I got King Lear Hamlet vibes watching that, and I, I'll mm. you know the Hollow Crown like kind of vibes, and it's it's yeah. I I can't I can't I can't I can't wait for, I can't wait to see more. I I I'm be disappointed if they don't release season ne- next year, but. I don't think we're going to get any more major time jumps, and I think these are the characters we are going to stick with. I don't think we're going to change the no the actors and actresses. We're going to stick with. We're not going to have any more changes. Yeah. But yeah, what 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 do you think? Um. Yeah. Like we're not going to get any more because they needed to do like loads of heavy lifting and, and set the scene that this t- this took 
mm. so many years to sort of like um, create this like tension and this, yeah. this, well just just for the dance to begin um i think what was it like the the wars of um of uh ravens and Kings? quills and and, oh, and marriage packs ended and now um was it the war of fire and blood began in earnest sorry yeah, yeah the dance began the 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 you know the kind of like mm. the 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 kind of the battles the fights of conspiracy whispering your your ear to now full on full on conflict in your face conflict mm. yeah you're gonna you're gonna see it and um, I'm I, yeah, I'm so looking forward to this um about any more thoughts about House of Dragon um other than I, I don't know it's a really solid season. It's so solid. And the fact that it was quite surprising as well. People thought it was going to be, oh, it's just going to be another Game of Thrones. It's going to be See, crap. episode one had a, so much they needed to kind of, had mm. so much weight to it because they had to make sure it it worked. If it didn't work, people would not watch it and it would, they would cancel the show. Mm. And yeah. they done so well of bringing back the those fans that kind of been put off Game of Thrones for life to put off the world because of season eight and it brought those back mm. and i'm i'm glad i did it and it, it, it's 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 ryan condor it, it's done such a good job and people i know people who are like oh who's ryan condor oh he's done like oh he's done like this this oh he's not going to be no he's not going to be uh you know <laughs> how is he going to be able to deal manage this massive fantasy show um that is beloved by millions around the world. Like the, the pre- previous show got beloved by millions around the world. He's done it in a better job than the show one had done for Winter Power. It it mm. and and it shows like regardless of your experience as a showrunner, whether you've done it before or not, even just work on other pre-productions, it does make a difference because. You know the the, the showrunners for Rings of Power did not work work showrunners before on anything else, and that shows. Ryan Condor has worked on stuff before. This is new to him. This is a different uh, uh, different kind of uh, not campaign, but kind of like you know, um, say, say a quest for him. You know, to make House of Dragon great, and he's done that. Miguel Spocknick uh, obviously played a massive role in this as well. It's a shame that he's leaving, but I am happy that because Ryan Condor knows what he's doing. And I'm happy that the reins are passed to Ryan Condor to be the, the main showrunner. Miguel might come back in the future. You never know. He, he's, he's basically, he's, he's, I reckon he's on the break, to be honest. Hmm. Um, I don't show like, it, like something as big as this. Yeah. It's tiring. It's tiring. Um, I mean, let's just hope like whoever replaces him has like, I know. I guess I think it's Ryan, sort of like um, I think the... I think it's I think it's just Ryan being okay. the sole show showrunner. But him and George yeah. R. Martin, obviously George R. Martin's being a big again, obviously this is an example of having the author being involved in the project. That's the problem with Tolkien. He's not alive to help with Wings of Power. So I can't really make that comparison. Um but even you know, like we talked earlier about The Witcher and um, how um, what's his name? Uh, Sapolsky is not really attached, involved much with the show, isn't he? And that kind of shows, um, pardon the pun, but um, but oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to to seeing where this show goes next, and hopefully, we get few. I'm, I'm happy for this show to go on for 10 seasons, 
have four seasons of the Dance Dragons and then have another season, maybe Aegon's Conquest, maybe the Blackfire Bella, another season, maybe the Hedge Knights and the Knight of the Seven Kingdoms have another season, have a season of that. You know, you can go in many different directions, and also they've got spin off shows being announced as well. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give this in my rating, I'm gonna give this a solid 10 out of 10. Really? Yeah. Hmm. See, I don't think it's perfect. See, I don't so. think it's. I mean, I don't. When I give someone ten out of ten, I don't mean it's perfect. I I mean it's just so strong. I I, I give it ten out of ten. The pacing and the pacing was an issue, but it wasn't a major major issue. Uh, but I still give it ten out of ten. I love this show. <laughs> um. Mm. There's um. I mean, I'm trying to think of like what I'd give it. A solid, very, very strong nine, like edging onto like a, a fantastic ten. But it's not I, I think it's perfect. There's would you say things... would you give it a nine point five out of ten? Yeah, like like a nine point seven or eight. Like it's really strong. Yeah, okay. It, it's it's very good. And like each episode I was like fully engrossed and other like um sorry, and like other um fantasy shows, should we say. Yeah. But yeah. um Ah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm, I was quite sad actually when I found out that we're, it's going to be nearly two years until the next series. I know, I know. That's a habit now. A lot of shows are taking two years to actually like mm. come out between seasons. Yeah, I think that's the thing now because it's a lot more budget, and also if you've got a lot more uh, A-list car- uh, actors yeah. and actresses, you've got to work around their schedules as well. Um, and also, when the show comes out, everyone takes a huge break before the start up again. Because at the end of the day, also, you've got to wait until the commissioners put the green light yeah. on the show before you, you start pre production. So they've already started pre production, but um, then they're going to go on to filming next year. Yeah. But yeah, um, I'm looking for, yeah. I mean, great, I, great, I, great I kind show. of like appreciate more time anyway, mm, just to get yeah, things definitely. prepped and definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely. All right, oh, that, God, that wraps so up fun. our House of the Dragon review. Um, if you've got any thoughts on House of the Dragon, yeah. please uh, let us know. Um, next week we'll be discussing Star Wars: Tales of the Jedi, the new anthology series uh, dropped by Dave Filoni. Uh, it's it's just a couple of short episodes, but it's some nice little added stuff to to a little bit more added stuff to the star wars ever big ever increasing expansion uh and yeah and then we'll review and or in the later episode this month as well so uh thank you everybody for listening of course follow us instagram twitter facebook and you can email us plus follow us you can also um listen to this podcast on our many platforms we're on including uh spotify anchor apple Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, um, and Radio Radio Public. Uh, there's a couple more that I didn't mention, but we've got so many. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. We hope you enjoy these episodes, and we'll see you on the next Hoffy Coffee Cast. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Hoffy Coffee Cast. But before we end, me and Reese want to thank everyone for listening. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to like, follow, share, and review in addition to tell your friends, family, and fellow nerds and coffee lovers about our content. We both enjoy talking about these topics, and with your help, we can strive to be bigger and better and bring out much more to our fans and listeners. I'm your host, Reese Bolton. And I'm your host, Reese Jones. And we'll see you on the next Hoffee Coffee Cast. Take care and goodbye. Bye.